Acts chapter number 16, as I mentioned already, we're going to look at the, the account of Lydia, and uh, that's as far as we will get this morning, is just the story of her conversion, and maybe just a little bit into the next account. And um, as we walk into this this morning, we are going through this not necessarily just as an exposition of the text, that we want to uh, stay faithful to the text here, but we're looking at this in reference to uh, being on mission that with God and understanding that God has called us to an mission of reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we go with that mission, it's important that we understand that we are called to keep the main things, the main things, and the main things, the plain things. And always make sure that the gospel uh, proceeds and takes front row to every conversation we have. And uh, as we walk into this text this morning, we see the Apostle Paul last week um, going through the process of making a decision where God had closed doors in one area and opened them in another. And now they're journeying into the area that God has opened the door. But even though the door is open, you never know what is going to be on the other side. You don't have, uh, there's no crystal ball here for the Apostle Paul. He doesn't get a daily report of what the next week's going to hold. He's still walking in faith. And as God confirms to us in our heart of what he has for us to do as a church and as individuals, it doesn't mean that we know all the eventualities of that journey. And so there's still a process of trusting God in the moments, day by day, as we walk through this journey together. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul and these men were doing. And so if you found your place there, let's read, if we could, uh, beginning in verse number 11. And um, we're going to read down just a few verses into verse number uh, 18. And that'll give us a kind of a context of what's going on, of what we'll try to cover this morning. So in verse 11, let's begin reading together. So setting sail from Troas, we made direct voyage to Samothrace, and following, uh, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We, may re we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed that there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and, cry, and us crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you that you would add your blessing to the reading of the Word of God. We ask you to open our eyes and ears to see and hear uh, what you'd have for us this morning as we walk through this text together. And we'll praise you for your mercy and your grace that are evident to us. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask it all. Amen. So we see here um, Lydia, the account of Lydia's salvation. So Paul is coming on his missionary journey now to Philippi. He's coming there to reach um, 
this group of people that God has sent him to, the first of which, and this is an interesting journey because he's going to reach several people in this chapter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in the beginning of this journey, the first one that we see coming to faith is a lady named Lydia. Uh, I like the wording in the King James uses uh, the word certain. And he uses it several times in this text. And we see a certain woman and a certain young lady. And here we see this was intentional. And, and, and it's not lost in our text as well, in our translation this morning. But the idea being is that this was not an accident that God found Lydia. But that God sent him to this city to reach this woman. God had people in this city he wanted him to reach already. And by the way, let me say this morning, there are people in your world that God wants you to preach the gospel to already. And he's working in their heart. And how long did God work behind the scenes before you came to the gospel? How many generations did God work in people's lives? If you grew up in church, make no mistake, God still brought the gospel to where you were. And it was a generational impact that God brought the gospel to you. Or maybe you've only been saved one generation and you're the first in your family to come to faith in Christ. It's no mistake that God showed up in the day that he showed up to bring the gospel to your doorstep. And as we listen to the Why Jesus stories, the stories are so uh, different and yet so much the same of how the gospel has journeyed in different ways and different people and different personalities that brought the gospel to where you were. But it was by God's grace that the gospel came to where we were and saved us. I love this phrase that, that we mentioned earlier that a certain woman was coming. I, I, it's reminiscent of Jesus, is it not? When he was on the journey of his earthly journey here and he looked at his apostles and said, I must needs go through Samaria. I must needs go through Samaria. And Jesus goes into Samaria, and there's a woman at the well, and he preaches the gospel and tells her, I'm the Messiah. And of course, this woman is saved, and the town comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And all of that was on purpose, and God had a plan for it as he walked in that city, and he understood there was a need to go there. Jesus went to Samaria. Now, we saw last week in verses 10 through 12 how that when the vision came to Paul, he said, we immediately sought to go, or immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding, we see in this text the urgency of the mission, as we mentioned last week, not a franticness, not a panic, but an urgency of the gospel mission. And then we see a cooperation or a laboring together. Many of us this morning hold different roles, but we all have the same goal. And the goal is to preach Jesus Christ everywhere we go. To make Jesus and much of him in our homes and make much of Jesus in the workplace and make much of Jesus in our extended family and make much of Jesus in the public setting and make much of Jesus everywhere we go to tell people about him. Now he arrives at Philadelphia, uh, in Philippi rather, and the Bible tells us this is a a colony of Rome. Now, all of these have has implications to us, but Philippi was a leading city of the district, or we might call it the capital city of Macedonia. It was this place, this hub of information, and, and uh, there's a lot of history that goes into how the Romans would populate this, and often retired uh, uh, military leaders would be given a section of ground to plant a city in, and Philippi was the same way where these very influential Roman leaders were then sent there to plant the city and to start this hub and to make it Rome. 
And so much so that Warren Wiersbe in his commentary on this text, he says, Philippi was a Rome away from Rome. It was so much like Rome and so proud of their Roman citizenship that they just felt like that they were Rome themselves. And so we come then to these two ladies, and we're going to look at both of them briefly, but we won't be able to give as much time to the second. But we see Lydia coming to faith in Christ. We find her out praying when she comes to faith in Christ. And then we see this young slave girl, and she is possessed of a demon. We were talking about this text earlier in the week, and uh, verse number 18 of our, te- of our text that we read a minute ago, we thought maybe you know, this could be a pastoral life verse. And she kept doing for many days, Paul having become greatly annoyed. Um, you could just put that on your desk, you know, having become greatly annoyed. Uh, but that, that's not probably what you want to do. But um, the idea being is that she was hounding them and proclaiming good truth. Now, here's what's interesting about the text. Lydia has a heart to seek truth, but the wrong information. This young lady is speaking the right information but a wrong heart. Isn't that interesting? That you see a contrast here of one that is speaking, they're out praying, they have a heart to seek God, but they don't have the right information about God. And Paul comes and declares Jesus to them, and they come to faith in Jesus. And then we see this demon-possessed girl that no doubt, by a supernatural ability, she can state truth about God, and yet she was far away from God. And look what she says. She's saying in verse 17, these men are servants of the Most High God. True or untrue? True. They were servants of the Most High God who proclaimed the way of salvation. True or untrue? True. And yet, both things that she's saying is true, and yet what she's saying is annoying Paul. Why is it annoying Paul? Because the context by which it's delivered is associating him with these soothsayers. And Paul wants it very clear that we're just not another option. Jesus is not just another God on a list of God, but he's the one true God, and there is no other God beside him, and he is the way of salvation, not a way of salvation. And so we see this unfolding, and I'll just make a couple of other comments about it as we walk through Lydia's life. And so keep that intention, if you would, this morning. Look at verse number 10 through 12. They abode certain days. They considered their course of action. Here they come in verse uh, number 12 in the very uh, last line of that. We remain in this city some days. And Luke does not give us a detailed account of how long they were there. But I believe that they are waiting on the Lord as they're seeking out the steps to take. This is intentional. This is deliberate. Now they get to the city. What do they not find here in this city? That's very unique to Paul's ministry, by the way. Because Paul often would arrive at a city and immediately go to a synagogue. When he comes to this city, there's no synagogue here. Or at least no mention of one. Um, maybe they had been outlawed. And there is some question of maybe they had been put outside the city. And that's why they had to go outside the city to pray. Because it was outlawed for them to worship within the city. Maybe a synagogue was outlawed. Maybe there was not enough men to form a synagogue. There was not enough Jewish men. You had to have 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue. Maybe there wasn't enough Jewish men in this area. There's no mention of a Jewish man in this text. Paul doesn't reach out to the Jewish men to lead this. But here's another benefit. There's no mention of Jewish opposition either. And Paul was hounded by the Jewish opposition everywhere he went. 
And if you follow his life through, through Acts, here he is preaching the gospel in one city and people come to faith in Christ and then Paul goes to the next city and then the people who didn't like him in the last city follow him to the next city. And they're giving him trouble everywhere he goes and he's finding these that are coming of the circumcision it was called. They were following around behind him causing trouble. He doesn't get that here. He doesn't find that. So there's no Jewish synagogue. There's no mention of Jewish men. There's Jewish opposition, no Jewish opposition to Paul. But what is there? What was there? In this city, we find people in bondage and blindness. We find people far from God, bound by Satan in one scenario, bound by their own lack of information in another scenario. And not only do we find people in bondage and blindness, what we find is what we find in the world over today is that people are binding and blinding one another. Now, we, we can think of this young girl who is demon-possessed, right? And we see her, she's being used by these men. And make no mistake that uh, this using uh, is going on today, even in our world today, in our modern society, in our enlightenment. We are using and abusing and blinding and binding people today. And these men are doing that. And why did they do it? Because of much gain. And they're abusing her abilities or her demon possession to give the sense of uh, prediction of the future. But make, make, make this clear in your mind too. Those that are bound by sin or bound or are blinded are not the only ones that are blinded. Those that are blinding and binding are also blind and bound. These men are just as blind and bound. You see, it is impossible to be deceived without to being deceived or to be deceiving rather. If you're deceived, you're deceiving. And if you're deceiving, you're deceived. Say that five times real fast, all right? Don't get the idea that someone caught up in proclaiming a false gospel is not also themselves deceived by the very thing they're preaching. And so here we come into this city, the evil one is controlling and deceiving people. So how do you address such dark times and such tough situations? I mean, look at the condition of the world today, Pastor. What are we going to do in a world where it's so dark? Surely there's a silver bullet. Surely there is a special envoy, you know, maybe like Green Beret Christians, you know? That we could just train them and highly be trained to go in and address the specific woes of every culture and every place. And what do they do? Well, I want you to see where it starts, verse, verse number 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. So on the day of rest, they went to a place of prayer. They said, we think there's probably a gathering out there of people praying. And so they started there, possibly a Jewish gathering. And by the way, I love where it starts. It starts in prayer. You see these women maybe in ignorance of their own understanding of truth, but they are still calling out to God who hears, and he does a work of bringing the gospel to where they were. And they started with prayer. Paul joins the group, and I, and I love this whole picture of Paul coming into the group. And he says, and we were supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So Paul walks out of this group of people praying together, and he doesn't walk up and says, uh, <clears throat> Luke, bring me the podium, please. 
Let's set the podium right here. If you guys, we'd like to keep these rows a little closer together and move toward the front, if you don't mind. And then he opens up and begins to preach. That's not how he did it at all. He went out to this group of people, and he found a seat next to where they were, and he sat down, and he began to talk about Jesus. And, and let me just challenge us this morning that the preaching of the gospel is not limited to a pulpit and a stage. And, and I would say that oftentimes when we find Jesus preaching, we find him sitting at a well preaching the gospel to a woman. We find Paul sitting outside the city preaching the gospel to someone. We find Jesus around a campfire with some fish and some bread, and he's preaching the gospel to people. And some of the most effective preaching that you can find is, not, is around a table someplace or very likely with a paintbrush in your hand at your neighbor's house just talking to him and helping and don't get the idea that the preaching of the gospel is limited to one context. Here Paul goes outside the city and begins to preach the gospel. Now I think it's very evident here, and this is so important, that as we walk forward in gospel ministry, that we allow God to change our heart. Every one of us can have biases that rest in our heart. I don't know about you, but I've been in evangelistic opportunities before, or seen somebody, and the Spirit of God impressed upon me to go talk to somebody and I'm like, why would I go talk to him? He'd never listen to me. You ever see anybody like that? Like, that person's not going to listen to me. I mean, look at them. They'll probably, they'll probably hit me. I'm like, I'm not going to go talk to them. And I'm amazed how open the door is when you follow the leading of the Spirit to just start a conversation. And to go in and, and let the Spirit of God lead us in that way. Paul, he comes out of a great bias. And it's very evident that God has overcome his bias, not just to Gentiles, which we see in the previous chapter, in chapter 15, where God makes it clear that the Gentiles are a part of the church and they're to come in without the Jewish law. But here in this text, it's making it very clear that God has overcome Paul's bias against giving the message to women. And you say, now what? That was a problem for Paul? That was a problem for all of the Jewish Sanhedrin, all the Jewish men. Here, here's a prayer they would, or a statement they would make. It is better to burn the law than to deliver it to women. I didn't say that. That was not me saying that, all right? That's what they said. I'm giving you history, okay? Um, that's not biblical. Another statement that would be made say is that the Pharisees would regularly wake up in the morning and their opening prayer for the day was, thank God I am not a slave, thank you God I'm not a Gentile, and thank you God I'm not a woman. And this is how they would pray. Because there was no sense in which God was going to work through these women in their mind, and yet Paul understood that God had opened the door and Joel's prophecy was true, that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh, and that all flesh would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And it was not just a gospel for men and a gospel uh, for leaders or a gospel just for Jews, but the gospel had come to all these people. And Paul sits down, and it's interesting that he gets a vision. Uh, he sees a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And he shows up there, and what do they find first? They find a woman who is hearing the gospel. Now, let me make something extremely clear here. I think there's a mistake that we can make in modern Christianity that borders on this same kind of error. Well, pastor, what demographics should we be targeting in our evangelism? You know, what's the strategy for the church for reaching younger families? And that, that kind of conversation, it has a sense of um, earthly wisdom to it. 
can we just do numbers, all right? If you don't have younger people coming in, eventually there's nobody here. You got to have kids or you won't have teenagers. If you don't have teenagers, you won't have young adults and you're not going to bring them through the process. That makes sense, right? That we get that. And if we're not careful, what happens then we say, okay, so then what do we need to do to our message and our methods to target a demographic? And I think that is a patently ungospel motivation. That we're not, to, we're not to tailor it to one group. Here's what I would say the church needs, is it needs to be a group of people where 70-year-olds and 17-year-olds are sitting next to each other in church, and they're sharing life experience, and they're praying together, and they understand that the gospel works in a 17-year-old, and it works in a 70-year-old, and it makes a difference, and that we interact together. And we labor together. That's what I love about a growth group. When you gather in a room with people of all ages and then you've got somebody in their 70s and then a 10-year-old comes running in the room and interrupts everything. And by the way, it is a wonderful opportunity to have your patience tested. And by the way, if you find yourself on the side of that that is more advanced and you're annoyed by that, guess what? You need to be annoyed by it. And by the way, and if you're young this morning and think, well, I just don't understand how we have all the older people around, stop that nonsense. You better thank God. Those people have forgotten more than you've learned. Amen. Perk up your ears and listen. And go and ask counsel and seek advice and understand that God has placed us in a church that is not demographic specific. But it is every person in every place. You say, well, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to do it? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to reach the person that God brings across our path next. We're not going to try to. Can you imagine doing evangelism of like, uh, excuse me, how old are you? Hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. You're 45. We're only looking for people under 45. Nonsense. Preach Jesus to the next person that comes along. And learn to love the people in every age group. And don't get so satisfied with where you are. And I've said this before. And I think it is true. Is that young men, they boast in their strength. Old men boast in their wisdom. And middle-aged men are intolerable on both accounts. Because they're hard to deal with either way you go. Because they think they know something. And they still got strength to do something about it. And the fact is, we're all full of ourselves. And we're not careful. And what we have to do is understand that the gospel is for every person that we come across with. And preach the gospel to them. Paul remembers these women, by the way, fondly when he writes the book of Philippians. And he talks about them in Philippians 3 and talks about their partnering with him in the gospel. And the affection of those words. Lydia's not mentioned there. Very likely she had already passed on. But he has a very uh, tender place in his heart toward these ladies that invested in it. And of course, Lydia comes along and finances this gospel. So then we move to what... J. Vernon McGee said in reference to this, he said, I wonder whether the prayer meeting that these ladies held had anything to do with Paul coming to Europe and the vision of the man from Macedonia. I say it did. I believe they began to pray and God sent a messenger to teach the way of Christ more clearly. So here they show up with the preaching and the Lydia being the seller of purple. This would have denoted some wealth some ability. Thyatira was a city that was known for this. She's a worshiper of God. It probably refers to her being a God-fearer or a proselyte of the Jewish faith. 
And those that were Gentiles, they would have what they would call a proselyte, would be somebody who has gone the full measure of joining the Jewish faith. But a God-fearer would be one who kind of stood on the edge, kind of looking in and wanting to borrow from their morality and borrow from their rituals and just kind of get a little taste of what's going on. And we find many people in the New Testament that were God-fearing people and that they looked in and they wanted to see what was happening, but they had not become full proselytes of the Jewish faith. Lydia is probably in one of these two camps. But I want you to see the work of God in her heart. Look at verse number 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Aren't you glad that God opened your heart to pay attention to the gospel? And here this woman, her heart was moved, she was opened, and I love what Ephesians says, you hath he quickened. You hath he quickened, been made alive. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God who gave the light, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ has shown in our hearts. John chapter number 6 and verse number 4, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him. We claim no bragging rights over those who refuse the gospel, save that we would brag on Jesus Christ. That our hearts were open to the gospel. The invitation is whosoever will may come, but do not let us who have come to the place of exalting our head above those who have not come to the gospel. Some would have a spirit of almost like, well, this is an us against them. No, the work of God has done it. You did not come to the gospel by the wisdom and cunning of your own mind, but the wisdom of God was made known to you because God opened our hearts to hear the gospel. So here this woman, her heart needed to be open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then we see the other girl bound. Surely Paul is going to have a different tact for her. Surely there's another means of which to do this with her. But what does Paul do in both cases? He continues to proclaim Christ. They hear and they believe. We cannot know who will believe or who won't believe. We can only go with the gospel to every creature. I think it was Spurgeon who said, if, if I knew somehow or another the people that were going to believe, and I think he, he said if God would just paint a yellow stripe on those who would believe, and he painted on their back, then I'd walk around pulling up men's shirt tails to see who was going to believe. And he said, but since God hasn't chosen to do that, I'm going to preach the gospel to every person and let those that believe, believe. And we'll see in Acts chapter 17 that as the gospel is proclaimed, some believe, some say, I'll hear you again. And some said, you're crazy. And you'll get response of the same way everywhere you go as you proclaim Jesus. Since we cannot know, we must proclaim the gospel to every person. We must not be soil inspectors, but seed sowers. And I think too often, with either it's the demographic drive of things or our own bias on things, we can go in and say, well, I don't know if that person is going to accept. I mean, what, what's your genuineness? No, no just preach Jesus. Preach Jesus, sow the seed, and let God be the one who gives the increase. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, The world by wisdom knew not God, but it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. 
I don't understand why God has chosen this path, but he has chosen to put it on this path that he would save them that believe through the preaching of the gospel. And again, preaching is not limited to the context of a pulpit and a stage, but preaching is everywhere that you lift up the name of Jesus to a group of people, whether it's in your living room or in the, in the front of your office on your way into work or in somewhere where you're just stopping to pray with them and asking God to do a work in their hearts. And I wasn't intending to put this in the illustration, but my daughter was driving a lady home from work this week. And uh, she would work with her and driving her home from work. And the lady got out and was bothered by something. And she said, hey, come back here for a second. And she came in and sat down and goes, can I just pray with you? The lady's not a believer. Doesn't know Christ. But you never know where those opportunities are going to open or what that would lead to of just stopping and say, hey, can I pray with you? And here's the thing, I have found very few people in my journey when I've asked that question that said no. 90% of the time, they say, well, yeah, absolutely. I've had people say things to me, well, I don't necessarily believe this stuff, but yeah, you can pray if you want to. What could it hurt? And you'd be amazed what would happen if you just take the opportunities that God opens up. So then see in verse number 15, and after she was baptized. This is an outward demonstration of what God had done in faith in her heart. I remind you again this morning, there's no saving power in the water of a baptistry. But it is a picture of what Christ has done. And that we have been buried with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. And we are walking a new life. This was the declaration of a new course of life for her. There was no mistake about what it meant to her in the gospel. Then we see Lydia ministering. She says to Paul, and after a baptism, she said, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And I believe there's a lot of information in, in that little text. One of the things I'm amazed by Luke's journey is that it's so quick, and yet sometimes there's so much detail, and yet so little detail. It's like, Here's a lot of information. She sold purple. Why do we need to know that? And then we move on. And it's like, here, I'm going to open my house. Well, what, what did that look like? And we can only suspect what it looked like. But I know that Paul, by his wording back to the church at Philippi, that these people had supported the work of the ministry. And I believe Lydia had opened her heart to gospel ministry. And she was using her resources to help individuals for the furtherance of the gospel. She was giving of what she had been blessed with to take the gospel to other people. She's ministering personally and individually in ministry to the people that God had sent her way. It was a sacrificial ministry. And she understood that what she was doing was synergistic to the big picture of the gospel ministry. And when we give and commit to give to world missions, understanding that we're not saying, well, Pastor, all I can do is, so it's not going to make that big a deal. But understanding that you can be obedient with what God's given you, and as you're obedient with what God's given you, God uses it for his glory in places you couldn't comprehend. You and I would never see what God's doing uh, apart from, uh, we're never going to see on this side of eternity all that God's doing, but by faith we can believe that God is using our giving for his glory. And it is a synergistic work. Ministry is often unmeasurable in time. And, and by the way, I think it is a dangerous thing for us to get too hung up on measuring ministry in time. How well are we doing? Here's the thing what we need to do is be faithful and let God take care of the measuring stick. God's able to do that. 
So Lydia, good desire, wrong or incomplete information. This slave girl, this damsel here, right information, but a wrong heart. So what do we do? We go boldly and persuasively with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We go to the next person that we meet with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We trust God will open hearts. We trust only God can save souls. And no matter your condition, whether you are Lydia or you are the demon-possessed girl, your salvation is no less a miracle of God. Don't ever get the idea that it took more grace to save the slave girl than it took to save Lydia. Or it's going to take more grace to save that person than it took to save you. It is the grace of God that saves us all. And it is a miracle that awakens us to the gospel of Jesus Christ that we would come to faith in him. And so what do we do? We measure. We step out by faith. We trust God to give the increase. We preach the gospel of the person God brought across our path. And trust that God is the only one that can do the work in the hearts of people to accomplish his end. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we ask you that you would take what has been said today. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would drive it to our hearts. Father, as we consider the giving of our resources to missions, as we consider the giving of what you've blessed us with to the work of missions, Lord, may we be generous. May we be heart-driven behind it. Holy Spirit of God, do a work that only you can do. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Let's stand to our feet if we could.
Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to take one of the cards and consider your pledge for the month and then also uh, the schedule on the back. There's a sign-up for the Chick-fil-A on Wednesday night, and then we're doing a potluck dinner on Saturday uh, for our missions conference in two weeks. And so make sure you sign up for that as well. Uh, that's uh, live online as well. I'll be sending out in the uh, emails, all right? God bless you. Thanks so much for being here today. We'll look forward to seeing you back on Wednesday night, all right? God bless. No kids can, oh man, my mic's still on. <laughs>